Revelation chapter 7. Please note that I call it Revelation and not Revelations. Uh, even uh, some scholars call it Revelations and it is not Revelations. It is one Revelation. It is the unfolding of what Christ Jesus purposes for the world which he has made to his servant, the Apostle John. There's a beautiful unity to this book which we must not deny. And even the language that we use to speak of it is important. So then, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it is chapter 7. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. One hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom Thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray once more.
O Lord God, enthroned on high, once again we plead your mercy, your favour, your goodness. Help us, O God in heaven, that we may understand your truth, not just on a shallow surface level, but to the very depths of our souls, that this may prove a day of salvation for many and a day of rejoicing for all who know you and the Lamb in the midst of the throne, for we ask it through his blood. Amen. I don't know how many of you may have been in a massive sports event when something kicks off. Perhaps it's a football stadium and the goal that wins the game is scored in the last few minutes. Perhaps it's the uh, Olympics that were held here a few years ago and you've got a chance to be there when there was a Brit or whoever else you might be cheering for who was uh, getting the gold medal in some event. Some of you I know lived just outside uh, a football stadium and you could always tell what the score was because you could hear the screams and the shouts of the crowd. If you've ever uh, visited uh, the Banner of Truth offices in Edinburgh, they're on a place called Murrayfield Road. And Murrayfield Road is named for Murrayfield, the Scottish National Stadium, uh, for rugby at least. And when uh, rugby is being played there and Scotland score a try, the people in the offices can tell because even at that distance, they can hear the roar of the crowd. You might have been to a concert last night at the proms or something like that, and you've heard the voices of hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people joined together in song. That kind of noise carries. That kind of noise penetrates. I wish you could hear heaven. I wish that just for a moment, the veil between might be opened just far enough that you would hear not a few hundreds or even a few thousands or even thousands of thousands roaring and shouting and singing, but a multitude which no one can number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This great crowd is at heaven's heart. They are before the throne, which was introduced to us in chapters 4 and 5. This is where God himself sits and reigns and with him the lamb in the midst of the throne. And that great crowd which no man can number and I think it's another representation of that 144,000. I think they're essentially the same group in case you're wondering. That crowd which notice no man can number, God knows them, but it's more than a man can calculate. That vast crowd speaks with one voice and it is the voice of experience and it is the voice of truth we're told in verse 14 
But these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are people who know what they're talking about when they speak about salvation which belongs to God and to the Lamb. They are speaking what they know in the presence of him who is faithful and true. This is the God who does not lie. And in his presence, no lie will be countenanced. So both on the basis of their known and felt experience and on the basis of where they are and before whom they speak, you can be confident that what they say is real and true. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They are standing in God's presence. They are reconciled to God. They have been received by him. There is no unholy fear in their hearts. There is no doubt. There is no distance. Reconciled and received, they are rejoicing because of God and his salvation. Honouring the Lord enthroned and the Lamb on the throne with him in keeping with the whole testimony of scripture. Now we could turn to Psalm 3 or Psalm 37, or Psalm 62, or Isaiah 43, which we read earlier, or Jeremiah 3, or Hosea 13, or Jonah 2, or Revelation 19, which we will because you're already in Revelation. Verse 1, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven (coughs) saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honour and power belong to the Lord our God. Now as you read your Bible you will find it ascribed or reckoned to God, declared concerning him again and again and again in the language of Jonah chapter 2 for example that salvation is of the Lord and that is the song that resounds through heaven. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This, then, is the testimony of the whole redeemed host of God. This is what is declared by everybody in this great numberless host. And it may be that John is looking forward in sort of with prophetic eyes and he is envisioning the whole of God's redeemed people, all of the elect from every time and place. And together they are testifying that salvation belongs to God enthroned and to the Lamb in the midst of the throne. That God and God only is the source and the provider of the salvation of everyone who is saved. That the Father is the sender and the Son is the substitute who has been sent to take the place of his people and to suffer and die that we might be reconciled to God. Here is the planner and here is the purchaser of salvation. Here is the ransomer and the ransom himself. And if we could only hear them. And we can. With the ears of our hearts, if not with the ears on our heads. Declaring that salvation belongs to God, our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I want to ask this morning, first of all, why is it that some of you who are here today 
have not yet gone to God enthroned and to the Lamb for your salvation. Why have some of you who are sitting here today not yet gone for salvation to God enthroned and to the Lamb? Some of you may look back and say, yep, we remember when we thought this way. Some of you may want to listen to this because they are the things that people might say to you when you are trying to tell them about the salvation that is found in God and in his Lamb. But for some of you, these may be the reasons that you give or the excuses that you offer, the doubts that you have or the fears that you entertain that lie behind the fact that at this point in time you are not saved from your sins it's possible that someone will say it's because I haven't heard and you might say well that could be true of somebody who walks in off the street this morning and yet it is remarkable and some of you would say it we heard this over and over again until one day we really heard it this was sounded in our ears over and over again and then one day it really struck in our souls. And we heard something that we thought we'd never heard before. There are people who've been converted who have sat in church buildings for year after year after year and will then come up to a minister at the end of a particular sermon and say, why have you never told me that before? And the minister would say, in all sincerity, I've been preaching this good news to you for decades. And they might say, no, I'm sure you haven't. I've never heard this before and that's the power of the holy spirit carrying it into the soul but if you're here saying i've never really grasped this i want you to hear it this morning that salvation belongs to god that there is a savior who is jesus christ the lord who has come into this world and that laying down his life for his people, he becomes the object of faith for all those whom God has given him. That there is salvation in him. That God in Christ saves all who call upon him. That if you are to be saved, like that rich ruler who came to the Lord Jesus Christ, like the disciples who followed him to Jerusalem, like that blind man outside Jericho who saw in Jesus of Nazareth the son of David, that you must take Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God and the Saviour of sinners and you must follow him. You have heard and I want you to hear it in the depths of your soul. I would not wish anybody to leave this building any Lord's Day saying, I don't know what it means to be saved. I don't know where to find it. I don't know to whom I can turn. Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Perhaps some of you are not saved because you don't feel the need for salvation. All these needed to be washed. There is not a man or a woman born into this world. There is not a child who comes onto this globe who does not need the salvation of God, who does not need the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
If you're here this morning thinking that you are okay, you are lying to yourself. If you're here this morning imagining that you do not need a saviour, then you are blind to the reality of your own heart. These people, all of them, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Why did they need to be washed? Because they were not clean. Why did their robes need to be made white? Because they were filthy beforehand. They have been granted that in Christ Jesus they would be washed, they would be cleansed, they would be constituted righteous in the sight of God. And you need that, every single one of us. Some of us may be looking back and saying, that's what I've obtained. But oh God, how blind I was. How many years I thought all things were well with me. And it's only when God by his spirit works in your heart a sense of your need. That you will come to this God and to his redeemer. Perhaps you're content with outward religion. Perhaps it's enough to be in church. Perhaps it's enough to, to sing hymns with good voice. Perhaps it's enough to read your Bible from time to time. Perhaps it's enough to, to bow your head and to say Amen when someone else prays. What are these people trusting in? They're not trusting. There's not a, a word here of the service that they rendered. Of the services that they attended. Of the prayers that they uttered. Of the works that they have done. The songs that they have sung. They're singing them. But they're not saying listen to our singing. No these people have put aside all rites. All rituals. All performances. All efforts. All attendances. Because they are trusting in him to whom salvation belongs. They are not for a moment contributing anything to their salvation and therefore the song of their souls is all concerning him who sits on the throne and the lamb in its midst perhaps you think you have time perhaps you told yourself at the beginning of 2023 well maybe this year i'll trust in jesus Perhaps at the end of 2023 you're saying, well, maybe I'll leave it a little bit longer. After all, there's a brave new year opening up. I'll do it after I've done my exams. I'll do it after I've uh, sorted out some other things. I'll do it after I've enjoyed a bit more of life. I'll do it once I get to the next holidays. John is looking at the end of all things here. You don't know how much time you have. The fact that you're alive today. As you were at the beginning of this year. Is not an accident. It's not because. Luck or chance. Has preserved you. It's because God in his patience. And mercy. Has kept breath in your bodies. The Lord was not obliged to withhold judgment from these men and women who stand before him and sing his praise. In fact, they're acknowledging that judgment was their rightful desert. But that God has saved them from their sins. Who knows? Who knows how many times they were called?
Who knows how patient God was with some of them. But amongst them there would have been men and women who'd lived 70, 80, 90 years. There'd have been people who had many, many blessings and had long spurned them. Are they there just because things happen to pan out for them? No, they're there because God was patient and you cannot presume on the patience of God. Perhaps you're not coming to God and to the Lamb for his salvation because you believe religion is hypocritical. Perhaps that's because you've seen people. I think one of the hardest battles that I have to fight as a pastor and an evangelist is people who think they've seen Christianity. We know all about that. We went to Sunday school and we know what our Sunday school teachers were like. My dad went to church. My mum said she was a Christian. And I could never join up what they said with how they lived. Or they look at the the, the world of Christianity as the world assumes it. And they see whole denominations wrapped with filth and hypocrisy. It's tough. It's painful. Even in the last few months, there have been men of prominence. And we can't just point the finger elsewhere. Who have fallen from public approval. In the church of Jesus Christ because they have sinned grievously and in some cases have tried to hide their sin and have succeeded in doing so before men for month after month. You look at this sometimes you say, is it any, any of it real? Is, is, is this true at all? There are no hypocrites before the throne. These are men and women who have confessed and acknowledged their sin. There may be some repentant hypocrites, praise God. There may be some who once tried to draw a veil of religion over a dark heart. But the people who are before the throne, these are men and women who have held fast and stood fast in Christ Jesus. They have not turned aside to the left hand or to the right. Do not Turn your back upon God because people who call themselves Christians do not live as Christians. Before the throne, there are no hypocrites. In heaven, it is those who have trusted him. This is real. and Do not let the devil lie to you otherwise. Are you afraid that he's going to turn you away? Some people won't come to God and to his Christ because they are afraid that he will turn them away. How many of this multitude which no man can number have been rejected? And where do they come from? From all nations, tribes and peoples and tongues. Now, you can't number them. But if you could ask them, you could go through that whole numberless multitude. And say, when you called upon the name of the Lord, did he turn you away? No. God has given to Jesus Christ this great crowd. And the one who comes to him, he will by no means cast out. And there will be people in this crowd who will say, I cried out of the depths. 
And he heard me in the heights. And he lifted me out of the miry clay. And he set my foot upon the rock. My friend, if Jesus has heard these, if God has received all these, do you imagine that you will come and he will turn you away? That would be to ungod himself. That would be to deny his own mercy. That would be to dent his own glory. And God will not do that. He has bound himself to receive in mercy all who call upon him. And you can prove him true again this moment by asking him to give you his so great salvation. Perhaps you say, well, that may be true of others, but I'm, I'm too bad to be saved. If only you knew what was in my heart. If only you knew what was in my history. If only you knew what kind of person I was. And you don't have to be a long-term sinner in your 60s or 70s. You can be a child and you can see something of your own soul. You might imagine, how could God receive somebody like me? If we, if we could... We could call Manasseh, couldn't we? The man who sacrificed his sons to idols. The man who, under God, brought down judgment. And out of this numberless host, we could call out, is Manasseh here? And Manasseh would be able to stand up. What do you say, Manasseh? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You could call a man called Paul. He doesn't stand out in the crowd. He's too small. What about you? What do you say, Saul of Tarsus, who was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent and insolent man? But in me first, God has shown this mercy, that no one should have cause to doubt or fear that God receives sinners. Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You could ask people here. Some of you have heard testimonies already this year of how God has brought people from darkness to light. There's nobody in this building who belongs in the kingdom of God because they're good. In fact, in some sense, our very sin has been made to the praise of the glory of God's grace because it has been swallowed up by the blood of the Lamb. And we're able to say, look, look at all these sinners. Look at them individually. Look at the great host of them. And all of them are able to say, we have been washed clean and our robes have been made white by the blood of the Lamb. That tells you that nothing that you have ever thought or said or done puts you beyond the reach of God's salvation and that of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Perhaps you think something needs to be done. Perhaps like that uh, young ruler, when the Lord Jesus says, receive it, you say, in effect, what do I need to do? There must be something that I need to do. Some of you have been there, some of you have felt this. Perhaps to begin with, you, you, you felt that this was the right response when you began to feel the guilt of your heart. You said, there must be something that I must do to please God. 
There must be something that I need to contribute. There must be something that I need to leave. There must be something that I need to offer. Surely God doesn't simply receive sinners. That's the glory of the gospel, my friends. That Christ receives sinful men. That there is nothing that you can do and nothing that you need to do in order to come to him. These people are pointing, not to what they've accomplished, but to the fountain that has been opened for sin and for cleansing. They have all been washed in the blood and nothing else is the basis of their standing before God. Therefore, verse 15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Because they've been washed, because they've been cleansed, because their robes have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. And not because they have scrubbed and laboured and, and scratched and made themselves in any sense acceptable before him. I've known people who would never say that they were converted because they were afraid that God couldn't keep them. Is that you? Are you holding back this morning? Not so much because of what you've been and done, but because of what lies ahead of you? Can God really look after me? Can God keep me in the face of everything that I have to deal with, all that might come upon me? Terrified, some of you, by the, the, the possibilities, let alone the actualities of what lies ahead. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. This numberless host have all been kept by God through the fiercest and most painful of trials. These are the ones who have stood not in their own strength, but in the strength which God supplies through his son, Jesus Christ. Having been saved, God has saved them to the end. Christ has never let go of them. They have been saved to the uttermost by him. The gracious power of God has not lost one of his chosen people. If you doubt that he can keep you, let the testimony of the numberless host tell you otherwise. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Some of you perhaps are not Christians this morning because you actually want to keep your sin. That's fearful. You weigh it up and you decide that you'd rather have whatever it is you want. Maybe like that rich young ruler. Your heart is somehow wedded to the world. You might not be very rich, but you might want to be very rich. You might want fame. You might want pleasure. That's terrifying. What some people will hold on to in order that they might not come to Christ. Suppose you could grasp that thing that you really love. Suppose you could hang on to it. Suppose you could keep it. It fits in there, doesn't it? And you're going to have that. Grasping at the wind, the Bible would call it. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
Will you sit here this morning? Will you look not so much me, but as it were God himself in the eye? And you will say, I want something for myself in this world. And I would rather have this for the brief time that I can grasp it, the passing pleasure of my sin, rather than the eternal riches of heaven. These people sing with joy. They speak with a satisfaction that this world can never offer. Do not hold your iniquity over heaven's felicity and joy. Is this why some of you have not yet gone for your salvation to God who sits enthroned and to the Lamb? Let me ask you a second question. Where and to whom will you go for salvation if not to the God who sits enthroned and to the Lamb in the midst of the throne? Do you not hear the voice of a host which no man can number? There's no other group in heaven or anywhere else. There's no little gang of dissenting voices saying, oh, actually, we got our salvation somewhere else. We found another way into heaven. We took another route to end up before the throne. These men and women, they know and they speak in accordance with it. If salvation belongs to the God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb in its midst, where else do you think you will find it? There is no hope in self and some of us sought it long and never found it. There are no angels who can save you. As you get through the book of Revelation, you start to hear angels more and more. And often John, overwhelmed by their majesty, falls down as if to worship them. And what do the angels say? Not us. Not us. Don't worship us. Worship God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. He alone is worthy. They're saying, you know, we can't help you. We're ministering spirits. We're subordinate powers. We do the bidding of God. Whatever we have offered, whatever we have said, whatever we have done, it has been at the command of our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb in the midst of it. There are no saints who can save you. Not even saints properly understood. I can't save you. Your parents can't save you. Your friends here can't save you. We can pray for you, but we cannot pray instead of you. And there's no super saints. There's nobody who's got the ST in front of their name, no matter how long ago they lived or how much they have been venerated. There are no performances, there are no attendances, there are no contributions that you can make. Salvation is from our God and from no other. And he saves all who call upon him. And every single person who ever has been saved, is being saved, and whoever will be saved will make this the universal testimony of their soul and their eternity, that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is what the apostles preach. This is what we preach that there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. 
This is what Asaph knew in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. This is what God declared through Isaiah. I am God and there is no other. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Anybody who stands before the throne in the glory of heaven is there because they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Every person in heaven, every person who ever comes into the very presence of God, first of all in their disembodied soul, then in the glory which is to come when we stand before him with body and soul reunited, we'll have this same testimony. We are safe and secure only in our substitute, Jesus Christ. You can ask any Christian on earth or in heaven. You could interview this whole crowd. Why are you here? Him. Him who sits on the throne and the Lamb in its midst. Will you follow the voice of this crowd? Will you listen to heaven's own testimony? Let me ask you then thirdly and lastly, when will you go for salvation to the God who is enthroned and to the Lamb in the midst of the throne? If you haven't done so yet, when will you go? Will you go now? Will you go this very moment? Will you undertake even that you will not shift from your seat until you have found God in Christ by calling upon him for mercy? Why would you wait? For what purpose will you delay? What else are you waiting for? God's salvation has been accomplished. Planned and purposed from before the foundation of the world. It's been worked out in all things in Christ Jesus. And he has been set forth by God himself. Held up, exalted before the world. First of all on the cross. Then in the preaching of the gospel. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But should have their sins washed and their robes cleansed by his blood. This isn't peer pressure told my children over and over again I've told people in the church I don't listen to people just because there's a lot of them I suspend the rule now <laughs> listen to the unnumbered multitude these people are worth hearing this is not a fad this is not a fashion this is not a gimmick this is not the, the latest bandwagon flashing past, covered in bells and whistles. This is the true testimony of the redeemed. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a worldwide, age-long testimony. A great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, tongues, 
peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You could divide this multitude if you wish to according to man's boundaries. I don't know what language they're all singing in, but there's something about what they are and what they do that enables John to say this is a mixed multitude in the best sense of the word. You could do it by the nations of the world. You could do it by ethnicities. You could do it by ancient nations or modern nations. You could draw the lines over and over again. You could do it by age. You could do it by height. You could do it by eye colour. You could do it by skin colour. You could do it by language spoken when on earth. Divide it up any which way you wish. And there is one single voice that comes from every mouth. We are saved because of the God who sits on the throne and because of the Lamb. So why would you delay? Why would you wait? Is there anything else to come? Is there anything lacking here? Do you think the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God has somehow dropped the ball? When God shut up Noah in the ark, was there any leak? Was there any dribble? Was there any danger? No, God called. God sealed. God kept. God brought through that fearful judgment. And so he has with all his chosen people. If you would receive salvation, then you can get it this moment from him who gives it freely. There's the water of life that is flowing here is the salvation of God held out. Here is the fountain open for sin and for uncleanness. For men and women, boys and girls like us to come and receive. And if you will come now, do not wait, do not put it off, do not make a resolution for next year. Act this year. If you will come now, you will receive the salvation of of your God who sits on the throne and of the Lamb in all its fullness, in all its freeness, in all its enduring beauty and excellence. Everyone may now come because you are bidden by the Lamb of God and by God himself to receive so great a salvation and you can add your voice to this great host. And testify even today, I can say it too, salvation belongs to my God. To our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Some of you should be adding your voices to this throng. God has become your salvation and you should testify of it openly and publicly. Your life is now in him who died, but who lives again. You have been made clean through the blood of the Lamb. Your robes have been washed. And it is not right for you to withhold the glory and the honour of your salvation 
from him to whom salvation belongs, the God who sits on th enthroned and the lamb in the midst of the throne. If you are a Christian here, then you should testify of it. You should be baptized upon profession of faith in the triune name. And you should make clear to all that salvation belongs to your God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb in its midst. And many of us are adding our voices. At this point in time, you cannot even hear the distant thunder of a thousand, 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 thousand voices testifying of the God of their salvation. But you can hear its earthly echoes. This the church triumphant. We, the church militant. Sovereign grace or sin abounding. Ransomed souls the tidings tell. This a deep that knows no sounding. Who its breadth or length can tell. Do you know how many testimonies we heard this year? Eight, formally. Eight times in God's kindness, various men and women stood before this congregation and were able to say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You may not have done it this year, you might have done it in the past. I hope you've done it privately. I hope you've spoken to people about the salvation that is yours in Jesus Christ and told them that they may have it too. I hope you've encouraged your brothers and sisters, perhaps over the dinner table, perhaps in the church building, who said, you know what it means for us to be saved, what God has done and how he has done it. If I were to ask now every member of the church to stand, so what is your testimony? As you look back, as you look around, as you look ahead, what can you say at this turn of the year? What will you say through the year that lies ahead for as long as God spares you? What will you say when you come at last into the presence of Jesus Christ? What will your testimony be in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells? And you might respond, Brother, we can boil it down to this. This is our song. This is our joy. This is our hope. This is our peace. This is our certainty. This is our security. And this is our boast and our testimony. That salvation belongs to our God. Who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. Amen.